Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Scramble Podcast brought to you by Farmer's Hen House Eggs. Eggs that not only taste good, but do good for the farmer, for the hen, for the environment, and most importantly, for you. And today, we are very privileged to be able to have Dr. Liz Bobeck of Iowa State. She is a assistant professor of animal sciences. Join us today to give an in-depth insight into eggs and poultry, nutrition, benefits, all these things that many of us uh, have questions about, but also too many of us know, which is why we eat eggs. Uh, but Dr. Liz is going to just provide more insight uh, but also, too, share about her story into uh, poultry and eggs. So, uh, Dr. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, how did you guys uh, personally make it through the derecho? I heard Ames out there got some damage. Yeah, we had, um, luckily most of our house was spared, but we had some pretty significant damage to some trees on our property. We've got 10 acres and several hundred trees on it. So you can imagine some of the big, beautiful trees didn't quite make it. We had quite a bit of cleanup, but we were very lucky compared to a lot of other people in the local area. Yeah, so so locally there was some, some more significant damage with houses and, and so forth, buildings? Yeah, just um, south of us in Slater, for example, they got, uh, a significant amount of building uh, crop damage so pretty much everyone in that community had uh, significant damage in some sort of way so we we feel pretty lucky that our most of our house was pretty much spared so <laughs> yeah well that's that's good to hear yeah it just seems like a another uh, another mark of 2020 hopefully uh, <laughs> hopefully we're towards the end of the uh, surprises but time will yet to so uh, dr. Elizabeth I I'd love to hear your story of how you got into your field and your work and um, just, yeah, where, what the impetus was and, and where that started, if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Sure. Um, so, so when I was a kid, my parents took us to a benefit. It was for my dad's work, and we went to the zoo in Baraboo, Wisconsin, and there was somebody there handing out raffle tickets, so of course all the kids grabbed one. And I ended up winning a parakeet, much to my, my parents' uh, unhappiness, because that meant that I was definitely going to get that bird. I was a pretty motivated animal lover as a kid. Okay. <laughs> so I had, I had um, kind of pet birds all through high school, and then when I went to uh, school at UW-Madison, um, there's a program there that allows you to do research in a faculty member's lab. So I joined the lab of Dr. Mark Cook, and he was uh, kind of a chicken nutritionist, immunologist, kind of jack of all trades. And so ever since I was a sophomore in college, I was headed towards uh, chickens and, and a research. Um, so I ended up doing my PhD with him, and I just haven't ever left chickens since that very fateful start of getting my own bird to raise when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, so it all started with a parakeet. Yeah, yeah. Little did my parents know that was going to be a theme for the rest of my life with birds. Yeah. So has uh, your history with birds ventured out into more exotic uh, types of birds, or has it been primarily uh, domestic birds or, or or chickens for that matter? Um. So my 
uh, my lab here at Iowa State works mainly with commercial production birds. Um, we do get, there are, there are several different hatcheries in Iowa, and there are also some game bird breeders, et cetera. So here and there we get um, questions about, let's say, game birds like pheasants or, or that sort of thing. But um, my, my experience since starting research has typically been with uh, commercial broilers and layers, um, although my husband really does enjoy pheasant hunting. So <laughs> okay. From a game bird perspective, he's he's into some of the more exotics. <laughs> yeah. Now, random question here: Do pheasants lay edible, decent eggs? Um, they're actually they're they're nice sized eggs, yes. Um, but most of the game birds are being raised either for like release, you know, into public lands or breeding uh, colonies, that sort of thing. But typically, the pheasant eggs are not being um, sold for consumption. Yeah, yeah. And and as far as exotic eggs go, it seems that, you know, maybe maybe the uh, market uh, or European market might have quail eggs, perhaps yeah. duck eggs. But uh, that's as, as far as I've been made known as exotic as, as what you can buy at retail gets. Does that sound about accurate? Yeah, I know. I have seen in kind of some smaller grocers um, the the very infrequently some duck eggs, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I think personally, I think what would be really fun to see in stores are turkey eggs. Yeah. <laughs> they are quite a bit larger, and they provide some more uh, struggles for shipping and that sort of thing. So. Sure. Have you have you had turkey eggs? I have. I haven't, but they're they're uh, something I would like to try. Sure. <laughs> So, um, as far as having this this time of your childhood, uh, were you were you able to win this parakeet, and how that kind of cultivated uh, a love for birds in you? Um, are there any other reasons why, particularly, poultry eggs are important to you? So, in in the last fifteen to twenty years, especially in the United States. Um, chicken and poultry products in general have actually um, gone past all other red meats in terms of what people in the United States are eating. So um, something that is really unique about chicken is the fact that we have something that people might have experience with on their own, whether or not it was a family farm growing up. You can keep chickens in the city, which is something that's pretty unique. I don't see anyone with a beef cow out in her back in her backyard. Yeah. Um, but it's something that a lot of people, it's a more, I guess, it's a market that more people can have some familiar uh, experiences with just from either family or the ability to keep chickens on their own. Um, so between the quality proteins that they produce, whether it be meat or an egg, and the numbers of birds that are produced, um, something that I find quite enjoyable is the ability to continue improving sustainability and also getting people experience with agriculture in an easy way, which is keeping a couple of hens in their backyard. Yeah. Now, now do you guys have hens on your land? Um, I can't because we have uh, biosecurity concerns with our research farm. So we, we have uh, research projects going on pretty continuously, and the Iowa State University poultry farm also houses a very rare genetic strain of birds that have been in, in, in existence since the early 1900s. Okay. So we are very careful with uh, other poultry exposure as someone who works on that particular location. Yeah, yeah. 
So now you, you grew up in Wisconsin, is that right? Yes. Okay. And then did you come to Iowa State for graduate school, or was that after you had gotten your, your doctorate? So, uh, yeah, I did um, I did my Ph.D. at UW-Madison, and then I came to Iowa State actually for just about a year, and I did an applied uh, poultry postdoc. Um, so I learned a lot more about nutrition, diet, doing a bit more of applied growth and sustainability work. Um, I, I ended up going back to UW-Madison to do a uh, postdoc in immunology because I was extremely interested in putting those two fields of nutrition and immunology together. Yeah. So I kind of jumped around for some more specialized education, and then I was hired here in 2016 um, as an, uh, an assistant professor. Okay, very cool. So uh, in your field, and I, and I, I should just uh, put out a disclaimer uh, I'm pretty ignorant, so I I, I uh, market eggs and our brand Farmers Hen House, but I still have a lot to learn. So uh, I apologize for my ignorance if I seem to ask uh, what might be a, a silly question. Um, but with that, uh, in your field, do you see um, Im- immunology uh, being? I mean, especially as I think about the um, avian flu outbreak that was what was that five years ago h1n1 yeah Yeah. was that something that that uh inspired your work or was that something that was just kind of a coincidence with the work that you were already doing um so I, i became interested in immunology when i was an undergrad student it was basically by far my most favorite class i just basically loved how all of the different pieces of the immune system work together. Um, But I was also very interested in nutrition. And one of the cool things about just people's bodies overall is that, you know, your diet influences many parts of your life, including how your immune system functions. Yeah. So um, right, right now in the world of poultry, there are, of course, big disease events that kind of remind everyone that the immune system is something that's got to work well in order for animals to stay alive or productivity to remain constant. But I was really interested in how we can change an animal's diet to affect the immune system. Yeah. Um, Mostly from like a sustainable production and also disease and that sort of uh, landscape. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I don't know what you can share if, if you're, um, uh, able to to provide insights into to what things that you guys are testing or you guys have done research on as far as um, the feed that chickens are eating and, and how that impacts the egg uh, and therefore the the diet of a of an individual is that something that you guys kind of test or, or research or is that what's that like yeah so we we spend a lot of time in both um, meat birds and also laying hens. So one of the things that we're interested in is like how do different stressors affect functionality of the immune system? Um, so like does moving stress change how functional the immune system is? or if I if I add something to the bird's diet, does it change immune system functionality? So, there are a lot of things that are available to put in commercial diets, and a lot of the places selling those um, supplements are trying to understand better how those supplements work so they can 
you know, make the hen's life better, um, make her more resistant to, let's just say, basic uh, things that are happening in her environment, like bacterial challenges mm -hmm. or um, moving stress, just the stress of being around other birds. Um, so we're we're kind of working on how to improve probiotics, so they uh, the bird is basically able to work better in the bacterial environment that she's already living in. Um, we're also looking at can we enrich different tissues with things like omega-3 fatty acids, and then how much do we need to put in um, in order for that either the hen to have a benefit or for um, the egg to be enriched. So we kind of have a, a wide a wide range of activities, and most of them focus on either providing the hen or the end user, the human, um, a benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. So if you were to, and I, again, I don't know what you're comfortable doing uh, as far as making claims, but if you personally were going to provide the best what you thought was the best life for a hen that therefore would provide the most benefit for the consumer uh, as it pertains to eggs, what would that hen's life look like as far as feed, setting, those types of things? Well, so this, this is an interesting question, I think, because it's kind of personal to um, the consumer, right? So there, of course, are, are different housing types for the bird. Um, there are different ways we can feed them to provide benefit for the bird and also maybe enrich eggs. Um, and then there are other things that are kind of perceptions, right? We don't have a way to measure um, measure things like we can measure preference, but we don't necessarily measure happiness because happiness is a, a human emotion, right? Sure, yeah. So um, we have other, other things that we have to take into account, like health health and welfare of the animal and something something that we found um, from doing research in my undergraduate classes I, I teach a poultry science class um, and then also just like commercially systemically doing um, my colleagues doing different uh, interviews about welfare is that everyone's idea of welfare is just different enough that the place they're coming from um, it's not an even playing ground right yeah so one of the things to consider let's just say when you go to the store and you see all the different eggs is price. So a lot of people are just low price shoppers, right? Yeah. And right now the, the lowest priced egg is a conventionally raised egg. Um, so that is a laying hen that's in a cage um, with six to seven other birds. And a lot of people, the thing they don't like about that is that the hen isn't really able to express some of her natural behaviors. And by natural behaviors, I mean um, like scratching in the dust, dust bathing, mm -hmm. um, running around, you know, maybe having a little bit of flight time and landing, kind of exploring an environment, if you will. Um, so some people say that hens shouldn't be in cages basically because they can't express some of those behaviors. So um, that, you know, that's a true thing. Those hens are not doing some of those behaviors. But some of the other welfare measures are better in that environment, and some of the other environmental things are better. So there's less dust, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the egg quality and egg safety is, is better because the hens don't have uh, feces contact um, with their egg, and they're able to be monitored a little better since they're in that same group of six or seven hens. But, you know, it's, it's true. They, there are some health things that are better, but maybe you could say their behaviors are worse. Um, 
So then we could put them in a, an aviary environment. And there are some things about that environment that people perceive as better, and, and that's why there's some laws that are moving towards all cage-free production. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those, those birds then can express some more natural behaviors. Um, they, they do get themselves into a little bit more trouble because they, you know, they injure themselves doing stuff. <laughs> They're trying to have a good time, and they might injure their chest, their keel bone, or their legs, and then they've got more of their other friends that are trying to establish a pecking order, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, because you know, then they can do, they can have more natural behaviors, and they're in a, a more open space. So yeah. people are preferring that a little bit. But then you have to say, from a welfare and like a health standpoint, um, if the birds are injured, uh, if there's more injuries, or if there's more dust or ammonia in the air, is that really you know fair to the birds? Um, then then you know you could go to the other side and you could move them outside with indoor access, you know, for inclement weather. Um, and yeah, that probably is closer to a bird's natural environment. Um, if you want to say natural, where they also have predator access and that sort of thing, where something might might come and end their life prematurely, but they're doing more behaviors that maybe someone would consider more natural. So it kind of depends where you fall because you know the cost of all of those different operations is quite different and there's a premium on the eggs that are produced outside versus eggs in a in a, a cage facility but you know there's each of those facilities has positives and drawbacks yeah. so in the end what you have is a consumer that votes with their money so um it's i i definitely won't say my preference because i don't want to i don't want to sway anyone but <laughs> uh, my, my preference is a cage system that's very uncommon in the united states Okay. Um, I wish it was more common. <laughs> what was it? Where is it common? Um, Europe has got a few more examples. Um, so where, where the the hens are in kind of a enriched colony setting, where they have a more balance between uh, basically ways they can show more behaviors, but they also have a more controlled health environment and uh, like gas exchange, ammonia, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of European eggs, are you a fan? And again, I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't feel comfortable answering, but uh, are you a fan of having unrefrigerated, uh, unwashed, uh, processed eggs? <laughs> well, so the thing, the thing about unrefrigerated and, and unrefrigerated and unwashed, um, basically what you're affecting over time is just the egg quality. So, you know, the difference, kind of the production thoughts between the two countries are a little bit different, which is good because I believe in the, even in the United States, it's great to have all these different options. Um, I personally don't necessarily mind it, but people just have to be cognizant that birds do carry diseases that are totally normal microflora for them, but pose problems to humans. Yeah. So... You could also improperly wash eggs and then end up with bacteria inside the egg too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The, it, the the deal about leaving eggs out at room temperature is that you end up with gas exchange and water um, ends up evaporating. So you should use those eggs a little bit more fast, more quickly than maybe what we're used to in the United States with our very big refrigerators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, with uh, an unwashed uh, unrefrigerated egg, you you may be more suspect if 
the eggs maybe particularly too aren't consumed as quickly uh, f for contracting some kind of virus, bacteria perhaps? Yeah, I mean, the big ones are E. coli, Salmonella, and Campylobacter. So um, all of those things cause some pretty significant GI distress in yeah. humans. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing is egg quality. So the, the United States customers are, are trained to get eggs of a certain size. They all look the same, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, when, once you start leaving eggs at non-optimal temperatures, what you end up having is kind of the shell sickness can and the local humidity can kind of determine how fast that egg quality reduces down. Yeah, yeah. That's good because uh, when this is a personal story, but my wife and I went to France uh, a few years back after she she eats eggs every morning and after she had her eggs. I, and you know what? I like eggs. I just don't eat them a lot. Um, I have to confess that. Hope you're not offended. <laughs> OK, good. Um, but anyway, she ended up getting sick for, you know, probably about two or three days of the trip. Now, it could have been another cause, but it seemed uh, that the likely culprit were the eggs. So yeah, I, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, that could be uh, just a a reason. Yeah, again, like you said, to to wash the process. Um, so uh, as you talk about yeah the, the nutritional research work you do, um, you talked about uh, I think you mentioned in, in increasing omega threes and, and fatty acids in eggs and how that might you know benefit the consumer's diet. Are there um, kind of new frontiers with regards to feed uh, that you would be able to, to share about that may be having a, a, a benefit to, to a consumer's diet with regards to, to chicken feed and, and how that impacts the eggs? So there, there are a few different brands that um, sell like omega-3 enriched eggs. So that, that's been on the market for, for a quite some of the recent time, I would say, yeah. because there are, there are groups of customers that are interested in some of these enriched eggs. Um, but really what it ends up being is whatever we're putting into the feed, it, it really relies on transfer efficiency from the hen to the yolk and then also the cost of that input. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other part is what flavoring compounds does that particular input change in, in the, the hen's egg. So a good example is adding fish oil to the hen's diet. Well, fish oil is a very optimal source of omega-3 fatty acids because it contains bioactive EPA and DHA. Um, but the drawback is that at, the, at some of the levels that we're adding fish oil to get those enriched levels in the hen's egg yolk, they also add a fishy flavor yeah. <laughs> to the yolk. So there's a, definitely a balance between what we can put in and the not change of flavor profile sure. in, in the egg. <laughs> so like, would flaxseed be a, a suitable alternative then, say, to fish oil for omega? Yeah, so, so flaxseed and... Um, milled flaxseed oil are definitely alternatives, um, and they they can be enriched definitely to provide omega-3 benefits in the yolk. Um, so one of the things to think about, though, with flaxseed, which it, ALA is the, the um, bio, it's, it's a non-bioactive form of omega-3s, 
So really what you're doing in that case is displacing some other saturated or unsaturated fatty acids, and you're filling those in with ALA, which is also an unsaturated fatty acid, but it doesn't have the same bioactive effects as EPA and DHA. Okay. Okay. So are, are now are you aware of any other additives um, or supplements that are being uh, kind of researched right now, trialed, uh, to give the hens to see if they have an impact on the egg? Um, so we we ha- we do some things on the front end that just improve the the hens' um, overall health. So, like probiotics are very um, very very popular. Um, there are some yeast products that are also really popular, and most of those things just kind of interact with either the microflora or kind of tame down the immune system to help productivity and overall health in the hen. Okay. Um, we also have. Really recently, people are getting very into feeding algae um, to laying hens oh. <laughs> and also broilers. So um, part of that is it can replace some of the protein in the diet, but also the, the algae also can have some bioactive effects and also be a source of omega-3s. So those are kind of new up-and-coming um, additives in, yeah. in the poultry world, which now, I think they're kind of fun. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Now, have you had an algae-fed uh, uh, egg? yet but we um we have we've had a few projects with broilers and it's it's uh their diets turn out to be a little different color than you normally sure (laughs) they got a little green tint so yeah yeah i'd be curious if to even you could taste the the algae in an egg because it can sometimes have a pretty distinct taste yeah, these these algaes are like freshwater algaes, microalgae. Okay. So they're they're uh, specific to be able to not transfer a lot of taste, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so I know uh, a lot of consumers, particularly in the specialty market, uh, really hold to um, eggs that have a darker, richer yolk color, typically like yeah. an orange. Um, now, is is that something uh, that is just uh, more indicative of a supplement that's being fed, like paprika or marigold, or does that have something to do with the behaviors that a hen's able to have as a result of, let's say, being free-range or pasture-raised? Um, and I guess, is there is there a merit, uh, apart from subjectivity, to a darker-colored yolk, from your opinion? Yeah, so there there are there's a lot of science on this, um, and it's it's really interesting. There are like very distinct in the United States regional, and then also across the world, very cultural um, pre- like preferences for how dark or light you want an egg yolk. Yeah, <laughs> and people get people are like hold these preferences very dear to their heart. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, you kind of hit some of this spot on so something something that's kind of interesting about the the hen and the egg overall is that you know that hen's goal is not to feed you the human right right <laughs> her goal is to have a little clutch of chicks running around so when she's making that egg her goal is to put everything in that egg white and that egg yolk that an embryo would need in order to develop so there are some parts of the egg that 
can be susceptible to genetic strain and diet and hen age and egg size, that sort of thing. But some of the parts of the egg have to be inflexible because it has to, it, in the egg's purpose, it has to be able to make an embryo if it were called upon to do so, right? Yeah. So um, one, of the, one of the questions I get quite frequently is, well, can I tell how good an egg will be for me based on the darkness of the yolk? And the answer is, unfortunately, no. Well, you know, you might prefer an egg that has a darker yolk versus lighter, but exactly what you mentioned is that the egg, the color is very responsive to diet. Mm -hmm. And there are a, a variety of things that, that the hen eats that is going to change the color of her egg yolk. So in the United States, the laying hen's diet is uh, based on corn and soybean meal. Um, we can use byproducts from the ethanol industry, so dried distillers, grains of solubles, um, kind of like concentrated corn, if you will. Okay. Um, those can also add a little bit of color to the egg and put it into the darker spectrum um, by just a little bit if, if that's in the diet. But we can also feed alfalfa. Uh, you can feed marigold petals, um, paprika to some extent until the taste is not very um, satiable for the hens. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 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 the egg yolk is flexible, the color is flexible based on her diet. So when a hen is out grazing and she's out kind of poking around on the pasture, she's consuming a wider variety of colors, especially if she's consuming bugs. Yeah. Um, those can really kick her egg into the darker spectrum. Yeah. So. So the colors there are all, all representative of different carotenoids that are put into the egg yolk. And um, there's a couple of studies, there's not a lot, because you have to control for this very well when you're deciding, um, you know, are egg components different just based on housing type and diet, so a caged hen versus a, a hen that's able to free range. There are, are like an awful lot of controls you got to hit to get a really good study, and there are a couple of those out in existence. Um, but so the, the, the thing is, is that not all carotenoids are, like, biologically useful. Okay. So, so we've got a whole bunch of carotenoids that people will recognize. They're the main dietary ones, so, like, alpha and beta carotene, um, beta cryptoxanthin, um, lycopene, you might think about tomatoes. Yeah. And then we've got lutein and zeaxanthin. So those are highly enriched in, in egg yolks, especially um, if you're, you're feeding corn or if you add uh, marigold or alpha, uh, alfalfa, for example, um, if you want to get into the orange, then you have to start getting into these uh, more like redder carotenoids. So like um, capsanthin, for example, or you know paprika, kind of getting those darker colors in. Yeah. Um, but like biologically, these carotenoids are split into provitamin A and non-provitamin -pro A. So what we see is that if, if we are enriching the hen in beta-carotene or alpha-carotene or beta-cryptoxanthin, those are things that be, can become useful to the human. Um, those can be made into vitamin A by the human. Mm -hmm. But the things that we're enriching by grazing are lutein, zeaxanthin, and sometimes lycopenes. And those are, those are non-provitamin A, so they, they can't become vitamin A. So... Yes, total vitamin A might be increased from grazing, 
um, in those categories, but it's not, you know, it's not a useful vitamin A. So you're getting coloring compounds, but you're not getting biological activity. Hmm. Interesting. So now it's with regards to uh, a lighter uh, or darker yolk, is there a difference um, that's been tested, studied with regards to taste or nutritional value? Um, there's, so there's a couple of studies that show, so it's, it's kind of hard to change the overall fat content of an egg because we would have to really increase the size of that yolk relative to the egg white. Um, but within the egg, the egg lipid fraction, yes, we can change the ratio of unsaturated to saturated fatty acids. And sometimes people have different preferences when it comes to the type of lipids they prefer, if that makes any sense. Okay, yeah. So, so, so sometimes um, there, there was one study that showed the overall fat content in the egg was increased by just 1% um, on the pastured eggs. So it's, I think people kind of have fat preference in their, like, very, I don't know, very old systems of bodies that are worried about where their next calories are coming from. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, with that, I mean, really the, the color of a yolk is, uh, as far as taste and preference, I mean, obviously it's, it's more subjective than anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's, I think there's people's personal connections, like, if you if you know where the eggs came from, maybe you just feel better overall, and then you just prefer the taste because you have some sort of connection versus just walking into the store and like checking your eggs to see if they're cracked and then yeah. collecting a box. Yeah. Well, and I think like you know for at least for us, right? So we're a, we're a, a company that's predominantly Amish farmers, right? And so you know, and Amish farming might look different all yeah. different parts of the country, even the world, certainly. But the way that our farmers have historically farmed is with chickens that, that graze, right? You know, yeah. um, outside and, and indoors. And and so obviously that's something, too, that, that there's a consumer out there that, that appreciates uh, hens being brought up that lifestyle. Obviously other egg companies, too, have, um, you know, uh, seen that and, and um, made the most of that as well. But... But I I, th- I think it's it's interesting because you know when you think about and look I'm I am um, uh, ignorant at best uh, of most things but it just seems from like a, a marketing perspective you know, people want almost like an aesthetic with their food knowing the history of of where it comes from this kind of um, you know bucolic or pastoral image of of their their food, uh, you know, being raised, you know, to a certain standard of ethics or what, however you might, you know, define that, obviously. Um, and so, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a preference. There's a, a connection, a sentiment there that, you know, might inform. I, I mean, we probably have to ask a psychologist, but, you know, might inform just uh, the way the brain then perceives that versus let's say, you know, a caged egg or something like that. So anyway, that's, um, that's good. So, uh, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time because I think I told you 30 or 45 minutes. Um, but a few, few questions here before we let you go. 
Uh, is there any research being done to grow eggs in labs? Or in a lab, I should say. So there, there is work that is sort of, um, I don't want to call it an egg because, you know, that's an animal product, but like a, a replacement kind of for basically the caloric value, um, also with the minerals and the vitamins and those things that are in there. And then I, I believe their big kicker is that it's cholesterol-free. Um, so there's a couple of commercial products that exist, but I, I don't have a lot of experience with them, like from eating. I just know about kind of the news articles that I've seen as sure. time has gone by. But it, I get the sense that I don't know if an egg in the way that we think about it is ever going to be recreated, but it's going to look something more like a pasteurized whole egg product or a pasteurized white product, if that makes sense. Okay. So, so uh, and I don't, I don't know what the term exactly is, but the the product that's like meat that we've read about that's being generated in a lab um is would that be kind of a similar product for an egg type product yeah i think i think the one thing they're trying to capitalize on is maybe components that can be enriched and maybe has the same baking qualities as an egg would have if you if you were trying to do like a vegan um, meal for example yeah yeah but as far as Re- essentially recreating a lab I mean recreating an egg in a lab that's something you know with the shell and everything that yeah I have I have not heard of it but that doesn't mean someone's not doing it sure yeah yeah <laughs> I'm sure there I'm sure if if they did there would be a market for it um but okay interesting um this is a a big question so if you don't really have a, a, a answer for it no worries but um, do you have a prediction for the future of eggs, whether it's how they're raised, the feed, maybe lab-grown again? Um, any thoughts on that? Um, well, I, I think from recent trends and also maybe the way the population is moving in the United States that my, my prediction is that eggs are going to continue to be a, a popular source of protein. I mean, it's a very quality protein for the cost. So that is something that we kind of as a poultry industry are striving to make sure that we are able to feed everyone like of all economic background. Mm-hmm. So from from a purchasing standpoint, um, the way we buy eggs might be might change in response to some of these um, caging requirements only because it's likely for a period of time that that the dozen eggs or 18 eggs might experience a increase in price um, if a lot of infrastructure has to be invested in to meet these new housing guidelines. Yeah. But um, I, I'm also suspecting that egg alternatives are going to take a, a larger portion of the market than they have right now just because we're seeing that exact same thing in, uh, in meat. So. Right, right. Um, do you? Uh, I was going to ask. My question just escaped me. Oh man, it was a good one too. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, I was going to ask. Uh, as far as you, you look at other uh, f- food products, um, with regards to protein, nutrition, is there anything that you would say compares to an egg? 
frankly, the the only better packaged food, like, and I'm talking not packaged like plastic wrap right. and you yeah, rip yeah. it open and you eat it happily. I'm talking like a complete food would be human breast milk. Yeah. Wow. You really you really cannot beat the nutrition in an egg. Yeah. So so when I refer to it as nature's multivitamin, that's not too far of a stretch. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, you eating two eggs a day you can get up to 30% of your total vitamin requirements. So, I mean, there's not, (laughs) and you're, you're receiving vitamins that are mostly in a usable or digestible form. So that's not always true when you think about um, other foods with not bioavailable uh, vitamins or forms that are less absorbed, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, lastly, and maybe the most important question is, do you eat eggs? Yeah, I, I do. I've become obsessed with eggs lately. I usually eat three every morning, and they keep me full until noon. You know, cereal just does not do that for me. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you cook them? Um, I, I usually do some sort of frying or scrambling. Um, I spent a significant portion of my graduate career cracking eggs um, and also looking at uh, embryos at different stages, so... I have to have them cooked all the way through. I can't do sunny side up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I understand that. Well, that's good. Um, well, that, I think, is all I have for you today, unless you have something that you might want to add for our listeners. Um, I just hope that in whatever way people are able to enjoy chickens, if they can see them from afar, visit someone who has them, because they are funny, funny creatures, and I really enjoy their personality. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who just has entered into uh, this space with chickens, uh, it's actually been much more entertaining than I would have ever anticipated. (laughs) And just as I take a lot of photos of them and videos, they definitely are uh, characters with with lots of personality for sure. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the pecking order earlier, but that's that's a legitimate thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the theory that they came from dinosaurs, right? Yeah. yeah. And sometimes sometimes you might, you know, get that sense when you watch that pecking order unfold. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's why, you know, commercially putting animals in some sort of confinement isn't always a bad thing from a pecking order standpoint, but if you're looking for behaviors, then they've got less behaviors going on. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We've been uh, hearing from Dr. Elizabeth Bobeck, Assistant Professor of Animal Sciences at Iowa State University. And this has been, uh, just personally, uh, a great use of my time because I have learned a lot. So I thank you so much, Dr. Elizabeth. You're welcome. I am always happy and excited to talk about chickens. All right. Well, we might have to have you on again. We'll see, we'll yeah. see what kind of uh, questions maybe come up uh, as we post this. So, oh, yeah. Yes. 
That would be amazing. Awesome. That'd be great. And you've been listening to the Scramble Podcast, brought to you by Farmers Hen House eggs that not only taste good, but do good for the farmer, for the hen, for the environment, and most importantly for you. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.